Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. I want to begin today's program with my wife's strange encounter the other day in our local grocery store. She entered into a conversation with an attractive young woman who appeared to be in her early 30s. And Lord knows as a loyal husband, I would never reveal my wife's age, but let's just say that uh, Gloria is significantly older than 30. And out of the clear blue, the young woman exclaimed, I only wish I could be as old as you. Now, on the surface, a most unusual and uh, in some respects tragic request, because who would be willing to give up 20 years of their life to be transported magically to an older age? However, when we think about it, most all of us at middle age, especially those of us over 50, do have a number of distinctive lifestyle advantages over younger adults. We are well established in our careers, financially secure, not scrambling around to pay the bills or campaigning for that next promotion, and our offspring either are or soon will be fully grown and on their own, often with families of their own. And unlike those just starting out, most of us have ample time and resources to travel, explore new interests, and spend quality time pursuing hobbies and relationships of our own choosing. To put it quite simply, many of us have that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to live out the title of this program, Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Sadly, though, so many folks 40 years or older, this is not the case. Uh, Some of us have given up on our dreams of youth, maybe a failed marriage, dead-end career, tough finances, and are simply struggling uh, along waiting for an ill-defined retirement. And uh, so how about you? Are you enjoying your years in the middle? Uh, Well, if the answer is no, my guest Barb Warner is here to help. Her goal is to help each one of us remove negative expectations for the future. And Barb Warner has put it so distinctly, using our past limitations or failures to modify our dreams uh, for the future restricts the power all of us have to create a future filled with wonder and excitement. And worse yet, we sometimes refer to limitations contributed by friends and family. Maybe even when we were small kids, our parents told us in subtle ways that we just weren't good enough. Uh, But here's some good news. Barb Warner tells us that... uh, our, uh, we can defy those expectations built up, uh, based upon the past, and uh, we can uh, view the aging process from an entirely new perspective. And here's her bio. She has a bachelor's and master's degree in guidance and counseling, plus a certificate in gerontology. She served in the Peace Corps in Turkey, subsequently lived three years in San Francisco with flowers in her hair, uh, spending the weekend supporting civil rights, anti-war, and the women's movement. And in 1970, she moved to Denver, got married, gave birth to her daughter, and spent a number of years in the corporate world. And as she approached retirement several years 
ago. She realized that there weren't any guideposts to uh, help guide folks to the second half of their lives into retirement, and so she took it upon herself to fulfill that mission, and she's now an award-winning speaker and author of the book, Keep Your Fork, Dessert is on the Way, Savoring the Second Half of Life. And don't you love that title? <laughs> Hello, Barb Warner, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Oh, thank you so much. It's so good to talk with you. Well, on your book's Amazon promotion, it mentioned that your life experiences, both joyful and painful, were, to quote, were ways you were being shown the strength you possessed and could use to create an awesome second half of life. Could you please uh, cite for us one or two life events that help you build self-confidence for the future? How does that work? Well, I think when we're uh, younger, we go through a lot of very positive and sometimes very negative, difficult situations, and we don't realize how strong we were, yeah. and we don't and we don't uh, reflect on that when we get older, yeah. and so we have a pretty dim view of ourselves. But it's important for us to keep our keep cognizant of the fact, or go back and. I remember when I was a young mother, and uh, I was just recently divorced, and I had $350 in my pocket, a little girl to support, and no job. Well, I got through that, and I got through that just fine. Well, with uh, you know, it was really difficult. But I think all of us have had difficult times in our early years, and we don't take a look at those and remember what strength and what uh, resilience we had as a result of that. Yeah, isn't that great to look back on those years and look at that strength and resilience rather than uh, regret the fact, oh, why did I ever marry that guy and get divorced? Or, you know, what an awful life I've had and (laughs) nobody loves me and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, you mentioned several myths that so many folks hold about getting older, myths that can make us fear that the latter years of life will be a period of continual decline. Can you please summarize a few of those negative myths? I know I can think of a number of them, too. But the... Sure, and I think it's good for all of us to realize what myths we were raised with yeah. and what our culture uh, says getting older uh, is like, because Research has proven all of these things that I'm going to say right now, the the three myths of aging that I think are important to realize. One myth is to be old is to be sick, (laughs) and that's not true at all. And that's becoming less true as we go we go on, and we have more medications like to help with hypertension and high cholesterol and so forth. Yeah, I think it's and fascinating. You pointed out to a 1998 MacArthur Foundation study that revealed 73% of the population ages 75 to 84 reported no disabilities at all. <laughs> right, exactly. And I'm sure that gets higher every year as yeah. we get more sophisticated in our um in our medical practices and also as we get as we start exercising more, yeah. eat better food and uh take care of ourselves yeah. better. Yeah, that's what are a couple of the other myths that uh, we have about aging? Well, one myth is you better choose your parents wisely because you're going to have your uh, health at an elder age is going to be the same as theirs, which is not true at all. Yeah, I know you're, 
you pointed out that only 30% of physical aging is attributed to heredity, and the, and the remaining 70% is under our own control. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, um, and a man named Bruce Lipton has written a book called The Biology of Belief, and he oh. says we can change our DNA by our thoughts and oh, changing the way we view our uh, ourselves and our experiences. Yeah. So... My goodness, you know, we we really, our minds do play a big role in yeah. the way we age. Yeah. And another really important thing is because everyone feels that, oh, my gosh, I'm getting older and my brain just isn't as sharp as it used to be. Yeah. Well, the brain really doesn't doesn't lose abilities. It changes its abilities yeah. and changes its strengths. And uh, a doctor, Michael Merzenich, uh, at the University of Colorado, California at San Francisco, has written some wonderful things about our mental decline. And he says mm. it's not at all the way we think it is. It, it mm. is um, it's, it, well, it's the way it's the way we look at our um, mental state. Um, I, I laugh at people, and um, <laughs> when when people talk about having a senior moment, I want people to reframe that and make a single uh, senior moment be one of uh, incredible um, wisdom and incredible perception. Yeah, that's the way ancient cultures always viewed that and Far East cultures, that uh, the older and wisest of us. (laughs) That's right. And and, uh, Michael Merzenich says, People don't understand the extent to which the brain health is under their control. They believe they are stuck with the inherited brain endowment. However, we have the ability at any point in life to do the right things, to maintain brain fitness. Well, do you have any suggestions on how to maintain a sharp brain, uh, how we can keep our edge? I know you offer some Yeah, well, one of the things that uh, this uh, doctor has online is called Brain HQ, and uh, it's a website that there's wonderful exercises you can take uh, to to make your brain stronger. And uh, for instance, last year I had an automobile accident, and I questioned whether whether what my mind was doing when I had that accident. So in um, in this one uh, website, you can there are particular exercises I can do to increase my ability to think quickly on the road. And uh, I find that that's very, very helpful. And also in my book, I've written, I have a uh, series of things that people can do to uh, make their brains more more alert and healthy, like laugh more and maintain a sense of curiosity. But there are, um, I have written 10 or 15 different ways one can hmm. uh, can keep their brain healthy in very simple ways. Um, yeah, I like where you say meet and join others along the way. I don't know where you're wrapped up exactly. in themselves all the time and don't interact. That doesn't keep your brain very sharp. You know, that is so true. That yeah, is so yeah. true. 
Well, uh, although you were not uh, super uh, enthusiastic over what you did for a living in your book, you reveal that when I was nearing 30 or 65, the more people asked me about retirement, the more frightened I got. What were you afraid of? <laughs> I was afraid I didn't know what to do. I Somebody was there to tell was... you what to do. Any... You didn't have a boss, in other words? Or, uh... Yes, I didn't have a boss. I didn't have any parents. I didn't yeah. have a book to read. Nothing. There wasn't anything that would tell me what to do. So I had to figure it out for myself. And that was one of the ways the book got written is because I wrote in that book things that I, experiences I had and what I learned from those and why I felt that I was sharper and more um, sharper at this age than I had ever been before. Yeah, that's great. Well, authentic and not, a lot of us tend to define our self-worth by our vacation or our success as parents. And for so many, uh, this feeling of self-worth melts away when we retire and our kids that's grow right. up and move away. And I found an inspiring blog on your website, 10 Important Things to Do to Shake Off the Idea that We Are Insignificant. We don't have time for all 10, but can you please go through two or three of the most crucial you know, I'm not sure I hmm, I know what that is, Roy. I can you Well I can give you a hint on from the blog okay. you say to wear color, uh, mentor someone, uh, which is another great uh, you know, transferring your talents to somebody else keeps you young and, and involved and exercise of course, nature. Uh, I thought all these were some great uh Ideas for, uh, you know, make friends, get into technology instead of running away from it like so many of us do. Right, exactly. (laughs) And create new traditions. I love that one. And that that is something that as we get older, you know, you go to family gatherings and everybody kind of talks around you and they... And this is important. Rather than to you, you don't have conversations with um, your relatives as directly as you used to. And uh, I found this was true with my family. And so you just have to... uh, you have to look inside of you and and uh, see what things you have in common with your family, but what yeah, things and, that and are what unique. advice you can contribute for things you did well in your youth or things mistakes you made to, to help mentor some other family member or somebody else that has a problem. It's, it's so wonderful when you put yourself in the place of somebody else rather than just concentrating on what you're upset about yourself. It makes a world. That's of true. And I think it's difficult sometimes that we don't realize, you know, we are told that what we should do is communicate to younger generations the wisdom we have, but yeah. we don't know how in the heck to do that. Yeah, that's very true. So it's it's good to have discussions with the family because there's so many times where younger people, like you said, the, the friend that you met when you were with your wife, there's younger people who really want that knowledge yeah. and really want that uh, wisdom that you have, but yeah. don't know how to access it. Yeah. So finding a way to access it is really very important, and it's uh, very exciting for both you and the younger person. But it's so important that you know how to relate to a younger person by keeping in communication with them rather than just writing them off those crazy millennials or whatever you want. Yeah, no, I agree with you because I find they're fascinating. I learn so much by talking to millennials yeah. and and listening to them uh, 
is just it's such a, a learning experience for me. Yeah. And I think as long as we consider that we're learning from them and they're learning from us, then we have a really healthy interaction. Going. Yeah, that's, that's where you put it perfectly. You learn from them and they learn from you, and neither side thinks they're the uh, expert on everything. <laughs> the other exactly. person just should listen to what we think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, for a moment, please put on your transition coaching hat. Let's say a 64-year-old lady were to come and tell you she has absolutely no idea to do with, what with her time once she retires on her 65th birthday. And shortage of funds is not the issue. She simply hasn't given uh, active retirement any thought. How would you advise this lady to uh, on where to begin in planning out her retirement years? I know that's a loaded question, but uh, maybe you that's a good a... question. Um, first, I would um, I would ask about you know her her past and ask about what kinds of things uh, she did in the past and if she ever had. Or what were her thoughts about, boy, when I have time, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Or when I retire, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Or what what kinds of passion? I have a, a chapter on passions in my book. What kind of passions did she have in the past? Yeah. And, um, and sometimes those passions are so long ago. It takes us a while to dig for them. Yeah. And to be alert every day and everything we do and say and think and read and, and so forth about what turns us on. Yeah. Do we have something inside of us that really is switched on when we hear about it? Yeah. That's the way writing the book was for me. I had a little switch inside of me that would tell me to write, and I didn't know what that was about. I didn't write about what. Yeah. And so that's how my book started. I sat yeah. down with a pen and pencil and said, "Okay, start writing." And I did. And uh and you know this these wonderful things came yeah. forward. Well, let's talk a bit about your popular book, uh Keep Your Fork Dessert is on the Way, Savoring the Second Half of Life. I I guess what inspired you to write this unique book? I know what you just talked about, but uh, how did you pick this particular topic? Well, I just knew, well, I wrote this mainly for myself to begin with, because uh, one famous author said, I write to tell myself the truth, (laughs) and I knew if I started writing, I could really glean some information about what was it in my younger years that was important, and what did I have I brought to my current years that's still relevant, and that's still juices up my life and makes my life exciting. Well, that's great. But um, if there were one message you would like a reader to take away from your book, what would it be? I don't give up on the second half would be an obvious one, but uh, there's more to it than that, I'm sure. Well, one thing uh, Joan of Arc said, she said, I want to know what I was born for and I want the courage to do it. Yeah, that's great. And just because you're 58 or something doesn't mean you're no longer eligible to do it. <laughs> oh, not at all. In fact, in fact, we all know of, of famous people who've gotten more creative, and creativity is an important point yeah. because we get more creative as we age, and yeah. um, and it's important that we use that creativity in um, in ways that are uniquely ours. Yeah, and 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 important. Well, where best should listeners go to uh, preview and purchase your book? Where's the best place? Okay, to do? Uh, my book is on Amazon. I also have my website, 
which is Barb, B-A-R-B, Warner, W-A-R-N-E-R.com. And I do have my blogs there on my website. And also people can purchase the book on the website. Oh, that's as great. As well as at Amazon. Com. Yeah, that's real easy. BarbWarner.com. We all know a Warner that <laughs> was a, an all-star <laughs> football player came from Cedar Falls, Iowa, a few years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, to conclude, on her book's cover, Barb Warner quotes ageless Major League Baseball pitcher Satchel Paige. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? I love that quote. And I might add, if you hadn't uh, bought in hook, line, and sinker to the negative myths of growing older, and uh, if with the help of my guest, Barb Warner, we could cover those, get get over those myths, I firmly believe that a whole lot of us would choose the latter stages of middle age, maybe even the golden years of retirement, as the best of all. And if we do nothing else today in the days to come, I strongly urge you to begin living from this day forward with a clean slate. And uh, you can look back at the past, but only for uh, inspiration for the future, not to mourn what uh, might have been. And this means setting aside those self-imposed limitations and those perceived limitations you've imported from your parents, family members, or friends. And certainly the future is partially unknown, but full of potential. And as all of us know, and in her book, Barb Warner affirms, we can't candy coat the difficulties of aging. For everyone, there will be physical, mental, and emotional challenges. But in the face of that, we should uh, face each day, uh, life each day, with confidence and self-reliance, yet with a willingness to seek help where help was needed and to break free from those past emotional anchors. We should make a spiritual connection, then face life with gratitude, resilience, conviction, and the desire to help others. And I highly recommend Barb Warner's book, Keep Your Fork Deserters on the Way, to help you revise your outlook on life's second half of life of, uh, as a life of decline and uh, instead as a time of wisdom and new life. And as a companion, I'd like to recommend my own book, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, by Roy C. Richards, for a comprehensive map to middle-age renewal. And thanks a million, Barb Warner, for joining us today. Well, I sure appreciate it, and I enjoyed it so much. And best of uh, success in guiding folks to a long, joyful, and prosperous second half of life. Thanks so much for joining us. Spring is here and all across North America and Europe. That means warmer weather and lighter, more revealing clothing, T-shirts, short shorts, and pretty soon bathing suits. And the simple truth, very soon, like it or not, we'll be showing off more of our bodies. And uh, remember that diet you resolved to launch back on January 1st, the one we abandoned a few weeks later? Well, like me, you're probably thinking about summer on the beach or at the pool or on the uh, golf course, and you're planning to relaunch that diet. And uh, if you're planning to diet this spring, you're not alone. Today, there are more than 45 million Americans who presently are on a diet or plan to launch one. And $61 billion is spent in the U.S. each year on diet and weight loss products, yet the average American keeps getting heavier. But here's some bad news I bet most of us suspected. Diets don't work. Even those who successfully lose pounds and reach a targeted weight, 97% of us will regain all of that weight and maybe a few extra pounds within three years. 
And uh, wouldn't it be great if you could lose 10, 20, or 30 pounds and keep them off? Well, stay tuned as we reveal glad tidings for all. What if someone told you that we could eat all you wanted of the mouth-watering pizza, rich chocolate, and jelly donuts you want and still lose weight? And my next guest, guest author, Sora Bernikoff, is here to explain why you can eat what you want and stop when you want and still lose weight. And, and in fact, she's written a book by that title, which she'll highlight for us today. And Sora Bernikoff is a former elementary school teacher who lost 25 pounds decades ago and has kept them off. And today she is a no-diet weight loss coach, that sounds intriguing, who has helped hundreds of folks in New York City to discover the secret of knowing when to stop eating. And she's author of the Amazon bestseller, Eat What You Want, Stop When You Want, a no-diet weight loss program. And a welcome, uh, Sora Vernikoff. Uh, we're just glad you're here just in time for us to uh, start looking slim and healthy in our spring and summer wardrobe. It's a pleasure to be here, Roy, and I'm looking forward to sharing how your listeners can learn to eat and stop as well. I'm really excited. Well, before we discuss weight loss success, please explain why the vast majority of dieters fail to shed meaningful pounds and keep them off. Why are diets such a failure? Well, diets are... People are not successful on diets because the diet basically is a group of rules created by other folks. Other folks say, hey, you can't trust yourself. You want to lose weight. Give us the power and eat what we say. So you go on this diet. Let's pretend it's a clock. You go on a diet at 12 o'clock. Yeah. Then at 3 o'clock, you're good, good, good. Yay, I follow the rules of the diet. I'm not eating what I really want but what the diet says. But then at 6 o'clock, you can't take it anymore. You can't take the rules of the diet. I mean, you want what you want. And so you yeah, go up to – Just this once, right? <laughs> yeah, just this once, right? I'm, I know that one. <laughs> I'm going to just have one cookie, one Oreo, and then you take down the bag, and before you know it, there's an empty bag. But then diet binging is a two-sided coin. On the one hand, you did the only thing you could do to get back the control from the diet, yeah. and then on the other hand, um, you beat yourself up for not being able to follow the rules on the diet. So if you think about 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock you go, whoa, I need to lose some weight and get healthier, and I obviously can't trust myself, so I'm going to go back on the diet but you know full well there's another binge in the yeah. back of your mind yeah the problem is it's like a sacrifice or a deprivation and then once if you reach the pounds you want to reach the weight you want to reach then you say hey the sacrifice is over now i can go back to enjoying life and i, I suppose that's why so many of us gain the weight back well, you know, Roy, you really put it really well. I mean, it is a sacrifice because basically a diet equal deprivation, yeah. equal having the foods that you really don't want or in the amounts that you're really not comfortable with. Yeah. And so you do deprive yourself for a period of time to reach a goal. Then you reach the goal and you're really happy with yourself. But then... In my book, in, in Chapter 2, they, uh, Why Do You Have a Weight Problem? It's because you simply think more about food on average than a person without a weight problem. Isn't so, that interesting? You think more about food. Correct. And that makes you eat more. Correct. So you're on this diet. You have your own set of food thoughts. The diet's telling you what to have. Then you reach your goal. You go off the diet. But you're still left with the same set of food thoughts on average that are more than a person without a weight problem. So, of 
course you're going to indulge because you're letting you start letting go of the rules of the diet. Like, oh, I'll bring a big bag of potato chips in and not a small bag. Yeah. I can I can manage myself. But the truth is, unless you can vacuum out all the extra times a day you think about food, no diet's yeah. going to help you. Yeah. Well, what are the two types of food thoughts that are keeping so many of us weight loss challenged? Okay, well, there's two kinds of food thoughts. In Chapter 3, I go more into it. Um, the first kind is called an inside food thought caller. So an inside food thought caller, which I was clueless about until I learned it, is your body sends you a signal, and that signal is either like a feeling of lightheadedness, a stomach grumble, and then you think, hmm, what kind of food would I like? And then you think, hmm, maybe scrambled eggs. And suddenly that physical discomfort feels better, so you know you want scrambled eggs. So that's your body telling you what it wants. Now, that's not really the culprit. The culprit is the outside food thought callers. So I'm walking on 3rd Avenue, Manhattan, and I smell pizza, so I want a piece. Or I go to a bar mitzvah or a wedding, and I see this great Viennese table, and I want three donuts. It's all about the food outside of us that's going to call to us, and those are outside food thought callers. And what the program says that it's a combination of overthinking your inside food thought callers and your outside food thought callers that create your weight challenge. Yeah, I keep running into donuts that say, eat me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Believe me, I, I'm a member of your club. That's yeah. why I did the program. Well, I know personally I hate to feel bloated, but you tell us that bloating can actually help us lose weight faster. What yeah. form of bloating are you recommending, and how does it help us to take off pounds? Well, that, thank you for asking that, because that's a question that's close to my heart. When I used to diet, um, when I would go off the diet, I would have these, like, 2,500-calorie binges, and I wasn't happy until my stomach was out to California. And what I can't... <laughs> And what I came to realize in doing this work is that um, that was the only way that I knew I had eaten enough. Oh. So that when my stomach was sticking out and I had done all the damage, then I had had enough food to satisfy me. But the good news is there's three procedures in, in this program, the eat and stop yourself procedure, the drink and stop yourself procedure, and the bloatables procedure. Each of those procedures are centered around two techniques which let you know how to have enough. So the bloatables procedure, let's say you go, oh, I want, some, I want three donuts. Well, now you have the choice to bloat, and that means have a low caloric type of food like a salad or a soup or something else that you can re-establish that very bloated stomach that's really a primal instinct of what lets you know that you're full. Oh, but now you can do it using the two techniques without gaining the weight. You, so you can simulate the bloated stomach which you had on the binge to make you think you had enough, but now you can do it on very few calories and have that same primal feeling. That'd be uh, maybe a good idea before you go to that bar mitzvah or something. You know, <laughs> you're going to overeat at. <laughs> well, maybe exactly. exactly. On, uh, or or Sunday morning you. when you wake up and you know you're meeting your friends for brunch. But yeah. look, we, we, you know, we people, we always want something. We always want something. And bloating is a great way to I call it a helper. It lets you get through those tougher times. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Well, Thank you. Well, in the you. long term, losing weight and keeping it off is all about remaining in control, establishing and following a routine. How can routine routinizing, I don't know how to pronounce that very well, how can routinizing our day help us keep thin? 
Well, I have this uh, I have this kind of thought, which is, do you want a do or a chew lifestyle? <laughs> do, you, do you want your day to be directed by what you chew or by what you do? Okay. <laughs> And I made up my I made I committed a long time ago to finding a way since I used to have a chew lifestyle where everything was about the food in my mouth. Yeah. I um I found that by planning my day beforehand and actually committing it to paper, which I do every evening, nice. um that kind of gives me the choice to stay focused on what I need to do yeah. and then chewing becomes a larger choice, you know? <laughs> yeah. The problem is too many of us our do is to watch TV all evening. <laughs> well, there's we nothing sit there and chew while we're doing it. <laughs> well, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that because the book gives you plenty of ways to, uh, plenty of ways not to let that put on pounds. Oh, that's good. Cause that's yeah. Danger for so many of us. <laughs> you know, up subconsciously munching on crackers while we're watching a show on TV or something. But uh, and you don't even really know what you're doing. Well, in there, a way. Is there a way to condition ourselves over time to eat and drink what we desire, when we desire, but to consistently stop before we overindulge? I know you talk about a red and a green method. We don't need to get into all the details. But uh, in general, how, how do we go about uh, you know, making sure we stop before we overindulge? Well, that's the core of my book. It teaches yeah. you the green and the red technique. So very – so what – so what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with your listeners how to use the green technique. Okay, so we're going to good. Yeah. So we're going to do a little we're going to do pretend. So I'd like everyone to hold up their hand and pretend it's a piece of pizza. When you're looking at this pizza, I want you to ask yourself two questions. How much is enough and how much is too much? Yeah. Then I want you to eat the amount that was enough but not the marker, which was too much. So let's all pretend to do that now. Chew, 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 chew. Just okay. Off your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I need my. I need to still write. Go, oh, please, God. So um, everybody just ate the amount they decided was enough. Yeah. And and they know by definition they ate and stopped yourself because you can still see the marker. The marker, which was too much, that remains left over, lets oh. you know that you ate and stopped. Yeah. So now, Roy, you can sit in front of the. TV, eat the foods that you want, but first you have to set aside a marker. Then you can eat those foods, and you know that you've had enough when you've yeah. stopped because you can see your marker, and yeah, that's man. how you eat and stop. And that's the great thing because you set your own marker. It's not Thank you. Tells you what to... <laughs> Thank you. You take back the power. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Well, let's talk a few moments about your Amazon bestseller, Eat What You Want, Stop When You Want. In the promotion, you inform us the book is not about healthy diet and nutrition, and who, Lord knows there's enough of those books around. Thank, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> in, in, in contrast, what is the intended theme of your book? I think I know, but uh, why don't you summarize it for us again? Oh, sure. Well, the, the, the core of my book are two eat-and-stop-yourself techniques. The red technique, which is similar to the green technique, yeah. and, and that's why I put a traffic light on the cover for Eat and Stop. Again, the name of my book is Eat What You Want, Stop When You Want. And these two techniques that are only in this book will let you eat any food that you want at any time of the day you want 
and stop, and and diets don't let you do that. So I felt beholden to transfer my classroom management techniques. I used to teach in East New York, Brooklyn, really tough kids. They listened to me, and just one day I said, hey, Sora, how come these kids who walk, talk, and do those other things listen to you, but food has no animate qualities, you can't stop thinking about it, and you can't stop eating. So (laughs) so now I can... You can control those kids, but you can't control your own desire to uh, stop eating. Sometimes. Thank you, Roy. <laughs> that was my aha moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, your book is organized into three parts. What are they? I think the first yeah, So the first part I- tells you the first part, part one, uh, the first traffic light tells you why diets don't work, what really causes your weight problem. Yeah. And then the food thoughts, which I, uh, which are more, I go into more detail about the inside and outside food thought callers. Yeah. Part two, I teach you how to eat and stop, drink and stop, bloat and stop. Then in part three, I give three additional no diet weight loss management strategies. So once oh. you learn how to use the two eat and stop yourself techniques, there are three additional strategies that will let you speed you to your no dieted weight loss. I give lots of client testimonials. I give two chapters on questions that they may have after reading the book and on weight loss. And then um, I have an appendix where they can tear out the pages so they can check if they're in the train or on the bus, oh. if they're using the correct the technique correctly, and then I index the book so anyone who's reading it can always go to the index if they're asking themselves a particular question. Well, that's great. Well, where should we go to uh, the best place to go to preview and purchase your book, Eat What You Want and Stop When You Want? Um, You can get it at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Oh, I see. Or you can go into your local bookstore and ask them to order it. And uh, you have a website. What's your web address? Yeah, my web address is www.nodieting.net. So I'm a no-diet weight loss coach at nodieting.net. Well, that's just so N-O-D-I-E-T-I-N-G, nodieting.net. That's pretty simple. to. uh, Well, to conclude, at long last, for those of us attempting to shed a few pounds or maybe a lot of pounds, something different, a fun, useful workbook that places dieting in our own hands, puts weight loss directly under our control, and stops making us uh, deprive ourselves of foods we love, uh, but uh, lets us set our own reasonable limits on how much we eat and drink of each food. And I I can best sum up the benefits by quoting professionals that uh, are cited in uh, the publicity for the book. Uh, One says, Sara Vernikoff has a brilliantly original system for overcoming the mind traps of the overeater. And another quote, this book uh, is a book that will successfully assist anyone who seriously wants to stop dieting and manage permanent non-dieted weight loss. And that's so key that, uh, you know, our whole nature and our outlook on food change and not just be this temporary deprivation exercise, which usually wears off within a few weeks after we uh, finish it. And as uh, we say goodbye to this week, if you take one message away from it, it's this. I'm in control, not the food. And from now on, I and I alone will uh, determine how thin or how plump I want to be, when, what, and how much I want to eat, and how I will stop myself from overindulging. And food is my friend and your friend, not our enemies, but we remain in control. And thanks a million, Sora Vernikoff, for your most insightful advice. Oh, thank you, Roy. It was my pleasure. Well, let's all go out and enjoy our meals and our lifestyle in whatever clothing we'd like to wear this summer. 
and increasingly be proud to cherish our bodies and the bodies we present to others. And goodbye for now from Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 